Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D, and today I'll be bringing you the conclusion of the case of Maricela Bateo Valadez in Dallas, Texas. Let's get right to it. Super quick refresher. When the trial for Lisa Joe Dykes finally got underway in December of 2023, the prosecution told a story of a jealous woman, Lisa Dykes, who was tired of her new boy toy, Charles Beltran, bringing home other women all while she paid the bills. And the defense? Well, they blamed everyone and everything. From the shoddy investigation by the Dallas police, Maricela herself, and of course, Charles Beltran. Last week, we left off just as Beltran was about to take the stand to tell the jury his story, so we're going to pick up there. Before Beltran began to tell his side of things, the jury was sent out while his attorney made sure he understood that the choice to testify was his. His testimony had to be true and that the state of Texas had made no promises in exchange for that testimony. Beltran said he understood everything that came with testifying and he was doing so of his own free will. After that, the judge asked the prosecution if they had already dismissed the two charges, and Prosecutor Robin Pittman answered, we're doing that right now. The two charges the judge was asking about were the murder charges against Beltran and Murano. The state was actively dropping the charges as Beltran took the stand. This was the moment when the general public learned the two murder charges were going to be dropped. And with that, the jury was brought back in and Charles Beltran began to give his testimony. Prosecutor Pittman took it all the way back to the beginning, asking Beltran about where he grew up and who had raised him. Beltran told the jury that he was born and raised in South Austin by his mom and grandmother. He was the oldest and had three younger sisters. They lived in low-income housing and moved around a lot. He dropped out of school in the 10th grade and tried to make it on his own at 15. According to Beltran in Austin, he made a name for himself in the rap game with a group called Math Class. But by 17, he had a few run-ins with the law. He robbed a guy and was put on probation, but quickly violated that probation by smoking weed. He went to prison until he was 21. He caught another case after police were called to a fight outside of some apartments. Beltran claimed he wasn't involved, but he matched a description of someone who was and the police asked to search him. At that point, he told the officer that he was carrying a gun and was taken to jail and charged with possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. After prison, Beltran got into a relationship and had a daughter. While he was out on bond, he and the mother of his child got into an argument about him cheating on her. His grandmother was there as they argued, and she ended up in a scuffle with his daughter's mother. According to Beltran, he intervened and pulled his child's mother off his grandma, and when cops arrived, both he and his first baby mama were arrested. He was charged with domestic assault, and back to prison he went. Once released again, he left Austin and eventually moved to Dallas looking for a job. He met Lisa Dyke's son Kyle and was hired at on-premise bar. Sometime later, Kyle introduced him to his mom. It all started out innocent enough. Kyle told him that Lisa needed help promoting something at her job. So after they met, they exchanged numbers and Lisa began sending him messages. Not messages about whatever she needed promoted, but more along the lines of good morning, how's your day going, those types of messages. 
They made plans to meet for lunch and Lisa picked him up and took him to a fancy restaurant. At lunch, he told her all about who he was and his music. After that lunch, there were more fancy lunches and dinners before the tone changed drastically. One night after dinner and drinks, Lisa was supposed to drop him off at his girlfriend's house. But while they were in the car, she said to him, You should really let me give you a blowjob. I heard I'm really good at it. According to Beltran, he hesitated because this was his boss's mother. But Lisa told him not to worry, this could be their little secret. So he let her. And after that, she let him drive her car around, took him along to look at a house in Tampa, Florida to buy for her kids, and bought him a $30,000 car. That promotion stuff for her job? Well, it never came up again. She bought the house in Tampa and the kids moved out. And when they did, she invited him to move in. So he did. She built that studio, bought him clothes, shoes, whatever he wanted. His friends were welcome to come and go as they pleased. And without her kids there, Lisa was free to be herself. And they were both free to have relationships with other people. And Beltran was free to bring women to the house. At first, it was all fun and games. Two months after he moved in, Lisa began talking about Nina Murano. Lisa would FaceTime her and she was proud to show him off. Soon after that, whenever Nina came into town, Beltran would take both of them to the club and drink and party with them. And eventually, Lisa Dykes made another proposition. She told Beltran that if he liked her sugar mama deal, he'd like it even more with Nina because she had more money. And Lisa set it up for Beltran to have sex with Nina. Just like that, the two became three. They made a pact that they would all take care of each other. And Nina and Lisa bought him a Santa Morite necklace, like the ones they wore. Sometime after the threesomes began, everything changed again. Now Lisa only wanted it to be the three of them at the house. When Beltran pushed back and asked why, Lisa told him that at this point, feelings were involved. Beltran continued to bring women home, but Lisa wasn't happy about it. And then there was the one time he slept with Nina without Lisa. Beltran told the same story everyone else had. When Lisa found out, she was pissed at Nina. So much so that there for a little while, Nina wasn't even allowed to speak to him. Hell, according to Beltran, she didn't even look at him. By the early fall of 2020, things were going to hell in a handbasket. We don't know what 2024 holds, maybe starting a new job or moving to a new city. But what about having kids? Even if you're not planning on kids right now, understanding your fertility can help you make better decisions for your future. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within six business days. You'll get insight into your hormone levels, like your ovarian reserve, aka if you have more or fewer eggs than average for your age, and other important factors that can impact your fertility. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also download the results to review with your doctor for your next steps. Traditional hormone testing at a fertility clinic can cost over $600. But Modern Fertility tests the same general set of hormones for only $179. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash least, you can get $20 off your test. Plus, you can get reimbursed for the test through your FSA or HSA. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, clinically sound info about your body can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash least. That means your test will cost $159, which is a fraction of what it would cost at a fertility clinic. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash least. Again, that's modernfertility.com slash least. September 11th was the day Lisa had her plastic surgery. Beltran was with her at the hospital, at least at first, and he was supposed to stay the whole time to take care of her, but he left to go to the club and party. 
and she was angry. As Lisa recovered from her surgery, she continued getting angry because Beltran kept leaving to party when he was supposed to be taking care of her. October 3rd was at show in Arkansas. Of course, Lisa and Nina paid for everything. They all partied pretty hard in Camden. But when they got back on the 4th, Beltran wanted to go out with Dax to celebrate, so he did. Once they got to Deep Ellum, there was that whole baby mama drama and that's when, by chance, Maricela bumped into them on the sidewalk. According to Beltran, as he and Dax were out there talking, Maricela walked by. He made eye contact with her and they both smiled at each other. She turned around and asked him if he knew where she could find some weed. He told her he had some and they could smoke together. They walked to his car and sat and talked and decided to hang out. He had a bottle of liquor in the car, so they went to 7-Eleven to get mixers to make some drinks. Beltran wanted to go to Maricela's hotel room, but she told him they couldn't go because someone was there. Beltran decided to take her to his house instead. He didn't think anything of it since he had done it so many times before. So they went to the home on Kensington. When they got there, he didn't see Lisa or Nina, but knew they were there because the bedroom door was closed. He took Maricela into his room, closed the door, and turned on music. According to Beltran, he and Maricela had a few drinks, smoked, and talked. He said Maricela was cool, funny, and nice. And according to him, they hit it off and exchanged info and talked about meeting up again. Eventually, they had sex, talked some more, and then both fell asleep. At some point, he awoke to Maricela screaming for help and saw Lisa stabbing her. Beltran claimed he pushed Lisa off Maricela and they tumbled towards the end of the bed near the window. At that point, Lisa still had a hold of Maricela, so he jumped over the bed and tried to pry them apart. Lisa let go of Maricela and she fell onto the bed. Beltran then grabbed Lisa, pinned her to the wall, and asked her what the fuck she was doing. Lisa yelled, I told you not to bring any more girls over here. Why are you disrespecting us? I do everything for you. You need to get your little bitch and y'all need to leave. He responded, that's all you had to fucking say. He turned to get Maricela, but she was motionless and covered in blood. Beltran went on to say that he didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So what, what did you do? I mean, I just woke up to this, so it's still like, I'm not even registering everything. I, in my mind, I'm like, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. I, I, I go to the restroom. I come out of the room and I come to the restroom, turn the light on. I throw water on my face, trying to like tell myself like, wake the up, you know, like this is not happening. The water on my face, the water on my face. And that's when I realized I'm still naked. I drop the towel, I put the towel on, come back in. And Lisa's just still standing there, like, just looking at her, just staring at her, just laying there. Staring at Maricela? Yes, and I could, I could hear her saying something, like, I can't recall what she's saying, but it sounds like she's saying, like, what what, like, what did I do, what did I do, what did I do? And um, as I come in, like, I see the whole scene again, and I, I yell at Lisa, I'm like, Lisa, Lisa, and she's, like, not snapping out of it, she's just, like, there. I'm like, Lisa, I'm like, we have to fucking call, excuse my friends. I'm so sorry. No, Go I'm ahead. so sorry. Go ahead. What do you tell Lisa? I'm like, Lisa, we have to call 911. She's like, no, like, like, hold on, think, like, think about what you're doing before you do it. And to me, like, registering that, I was just thinking about the whole scene, like, I'm with her, I'm the last one with her, she's in my room. You know, it looks like I did something. So I'm like, well, you need to figure this shit, shit you out. You can say, you're quoting yourself, Mr. Beltran, you can say, okay, oh. I want you to tell us you're exactly what you're thinking, uh, the words you're thinking, and, and what you're saying to Lisa, okay? Yeah, I was just like, you need to figure this shit out. You, you told me to fucking leave, like, you did this shit, like, you need to, I'm gone, you know what I'm saying? I can't deal with this, like, it was just so much deal with and put my clothes on and grab my stuff and left. And the clothes you're talking about, you came in and, and where were your clothes? Well, my dresser's right there, so I just grabbed some stuff out of my dresser real quick, put it on. Did she ask you to do anything when you told her to, to figure this shit out? 
when I when I when I was leaving, when I told her I was like I can't deal with this shit, she was telling me like grab Nina, grab Nina, grab Nina, tell Nina to come in here. And that's when, like right when I was leaving, the door right here. Like I said, their their room is right here, so their door was open, and right before I was leaving, Nina, I could see Nina in the bedroom, just in a bed. Yeah, right there, she, right there. Where's her bed? Right there. It's like the the, the end, yes, ma'am. Okay. And you said you, the door was open. Yes, ma'am. This one right here. And we'll point that states exhibit thirty three. You said the door was open, and you could see Nina in there. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry, three thirty four. Uh, states three thirty four. Um, the door was open. You said. Yes, ma'am. And you could see Nina. Mm-hmm. And what did what did Nina look like? I mean, from what I seen, she she looked spooked too. Uh, she just looked like real spooked. Like, I'm, pre- you say? I'm pretty sure she heard what the hell was going on. And what did uh, what did you say to Nina? I was just like, hey, I was like, Nina, Lisa wants you. I was like, I'm gone. I'm leaving. Like, and that's when I left. Maricela had been stabbed and was motionless on the bed, and Charles Beltran just up and left. Lisa may have been the murderer, but Beltran and Murano were completely capable of calling for help. But neither of them did a damn thing for Maricela, and Beltran ran like a spineless coward. By the time he left the house, it was dawn. He went to his girlfriend's house, yeah, he had a whole nother girlfriend, and sat in the car outside her apartment. From there, he went to take five to get his oil changed, and then he went to Dax's. He testified that he was afraid to call the cops because he thought they would think he did it. Later that night, he met up with another girl. As it turned out, he was supposed to meet up with her the night before, but ghosted her to hang out with Maricela. If only he hadn't. At this point, the judge called for a break. When she did, the camera in the courtroom panned to Lisa Dykes, and she looked pissed. After a short break, Beltran was back on the stand. He continued on telling the jury that he and the girl he met up with went and rented a room together for the night. He went on to say that he realizes it looks messed up that he would be with another woman the next day. No, it doesn't look messed up. It is messed up and completely disturbing. Beltran claimed he didn't talk to Lisa for a couple days, but she kept calling. Eventually, he answered. And when he did, Lisa and Nina told him to come home, that everything was fine. So several days later, he did, and when he did, the house was spotless and his bed was made. Beltran continued to do what Beltran does, and partied in Deep Ellum, met up with women, and hung out with his friends. And Lisa Dykes continued to call the shots. After his face was plastered on the news, she called him and told him to bring her the car. She was going to take care of it. He brought her the Audi and he took her SUV. Ten days after the murder, Lisa called again and said the FBI called her looking for him. So he ditched his phone. Lisa got him a new one and then he took off to New Orleans with yet another woman. The day after he got there, she told him he needed to get rid of the SUV. So he had the other woman drive him and the SUV to Pennsylvania. He left the girl at a hotel and Lisa picked him up. He stayed at Nina's house in Pennsylvania for a few days while Nina and Lisa went off somewhere, where he didn't know. But they came back with a plan to go to Mexico. They drove to Buffalo, New York to get him a passport and went sightseeing along the way. Lisa told him repeatedly that she was going to get his name cleared. Nina did the paperwork for the passport, but they couldn't get it the first time because he was $30,000 behind in child support. But not to worry, because Lisa paid off either half or the majority of it so he could get the passport, and he did. They then drove Lisa's Maserati to Mexico and stayed for a month. But one week during their stay, Nina and Lisa flew back to the States to take care of some stuff, and Beltran invited a whole nother woman to come stay with him while they were gone. They got back before he could get her to leave, and for a night, they all stayed in the house together in Mexico. You'd think he wouldn't do that after what had just happened, but you'd be wrong. When Nina and Lisa did return, they brought back a Jeep Wrangler for him to drive. 
While in Mexico, they came to an agreement to part ways, but Nina and Lisa were going to clear his name first. Or so he thought. On February 4th, The Minds of Madness is set to release an investigative four-part series centered on a cold case from nearly four decades ago. At first, it was just, my mom's gone. And then it became, you know, your mom was taken by a bad man. They found video of him killing women. If you'd ever watched any uh, episodes of Breaking Bad, that's exactly what you would see. He buried these 11 women and kept going out there. He made a road going out there. You got this dude saying, hey, I'm going to show your family these pictures. And, like, he's secretly taping her. The cops don't care. We're nothing to them. Dumped her like a piece of garbage, you know? I don't see anything that screams there's two people doing this. I never thought anything was going to come of this case. Ever. Listen to the Minds of Madness series, Who Killed Jennifer, starting February 4th, wherever you get your podcasts. In December, they returned to the U.S., went to New Mexico, and then drove to Miami, found an apartment, and moved in. Lisa and Nina went to Pennsylvania to get furniture, and Beltran stayed back in Miami and met a new woman at the grocery store, a woman that testified and talked about just how charming Beltran is and how even while he's still in jail, she talks to him all the time. Lord, that testimony was rough to sit through. Anyhow, when he met this new lady, he told her his name was Antonio and he was from Pennsylvania. And he brought this woman to the apartment in Miami sometimes when Nina and Lisa were both there. He claimed he put up ring cameras and blocked his bedroom door with furniture when she stayed over. Eventually, he left Miami because they kept turning the cameras around when he would leave and he said he no longer trusted them. Because turning the cameras around is why he stopped trusting them. According to him, he didn't even want to be around them at this point, but he was waiting on the house in Pennsylvania to sell because they were going to split the money. When he left Miami, he went to New Orleans, then to Dallas where he went to see his second baby mama. He bought a stuffed bear, wrote down his new phone number, and threw it on her back patio. She called the number, they talked, and he told her he wanted to clear his name. Baby mama number two left with him and went to New Orleans because detectives started calling her. From New Orleans, they went to Utah so he could hide out with her brothers who were drug dealers. Apparently, Beltran was going to start working with them. While in Utah, Lisa texted him and told him that Nina had been arrested. They texted back and forth, calling each other lover, babe, and mama bear. And as a matter of fact, in Lisa's new phone, she got a new one too after all this, Beltran's new number was saved under the name Lover. Anyhow, after she was apparently tired of texting, she called Beltran and asked him to come and get her. He lied and led her to believe he would, but according to him, he had no intentions of going to get her. He was arrested days later. After his arrest, when he sat down with detectives, he lied repeatedly and denied knowing what had happened to Maricela. Eventually, after 999 stories, he told the story he had just told on the stand. After Beltran told that story to the jury, prosecutor Robin Pittman confronted him with photos of Maricela's remains as she talked about Maricela's father, Salvador. For the first time, Beltran showed emotion. You haven't been the best father as far as showing up, correct? Yes, ma'am. And, um... Were you aware that Maricela's father is here in the courtroom today? Yes, ma'am. And you know, he's the kind of father that was there every day. Every day for his daughter. You know that, right? Can I press the witness, Your Honor? Okay. Now, you may not have been able to stop the murder of Maricela Vitello, but you could have stopped this, right? Do you understand that? Yes, ma'am. What do you want to tell that man back there, sitting there watching this trial? <clears throat> what do you want to say to him today? There's no objective relevance of what he wants to say to him. I want to see that. 
at this stage of the trial. That's what And with that, it was time for the cross-examination. Defense attorney Harris started off by asking Beltran why he had pled guilty to a tampering of evidence charge because according to the story he had just told the jury, he hadn't done anything wrong. You pled guilty to tampering even though you didn't. Uh, I mean, based on what you told us today, if we're to believe you, you haven't done anything wrong. Right? Is that correct? No, sir. But you're willing to go to prison on a lot. I'm not lying, sir. So how, how are you involved in the, in the town? Tell us. I was, I was there when it happened. By, by me telling Lisa to figure all this out, that's my involvement in all that whole situation right there. Well, according to you, you were really present. Oh, you, oh, you think that because you told Lisa, you're saying you told Lisa, figure this out. That makes you guilty of tampering? That's right. Did you, did you tell her to get rid of the body? No, I didn't. No, sir. Did you tell her or anybody else to take that body down the moon? No, sir. The defense attorney then went through every different version of Beltran's story, pointing out all the previous lies. That was followed by a dramatic reenactment of the struggle between Beltran and Lisa Dykes, in which the attorney violently slammed himself into the courtroom wall. Oh, the theatrics. After several hours of testimony, Beltran stepped down from the stand, and as soon as his testimony was over, the murder charges against he and Murano were officially dismissed. Six days into the trial, the state rested its case. The defense called its first witness. It was the former lead detective on Maricela's case, Christine Ramirez. Now, it's unusual for the defense to call the lead detective over a case as a witness, but minutes into her testimony, it was clear why they had called her and the state hadn't. As we've discussed before, evidence was missing or not turned over, and leads weren't followed. Attorney Harris quickly pointed all that out, attacking the investigation, and then he deemed his very first witness hostile. He brought to light the fact that Ramirez's handling of this case was so bad it had repercussions when it came to her position at DPD. You were, the, you were the lead detective, right? Right. But not anymore, right? No. You were the moment, correct? I was transferred. So you weren't the I'm still in my same rank, not as a detective, though. Okay, you're just not a detective anymore. Correct. And that's largely because of... The videos. Things that happened on this, this case. Yes, sir. All the videos and things that, that went missing. Not, that was not the reason, it was for, because I actually forgot to actually send over the videos. And when I caught it, I made corrections right away. It was just an honest mistake. Well, but that, that was the only evidence you didn't turn over. You still had stuff in your trunk, didn't you? The trunk? Didn't you bring over boxes? What? Well, that was from, from, from headquarters. Oh, okay, you had to go back over to headquarters? Yes, that's where we got everything. Okay. But that was all stuff that you just didn't turn over. Until the judge made you turn it over, right? Which... Can you remind me? I'm talking about the stuff that you just left in your closet. The headquarters. What closet? Where, where were the bones? Oh, the, the box. Yes. Yeah, the, the box, box with the bones. Where, 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 where was that? At headquarters. In your closet? Well, it was, in a, it was in a file. In a file? Mm -hmm. But yeah, they have to answer yes or no. Yes. Mm -hmm. But again, that involved this case. Yes. Not only was evidence missing and or deleted, through testimony, it was revealed that on February 2nd of 2022, 
community members at the memorial site where Maricela's body had been found discovered a bra and panties and two bones. But based on the time that had passed, those items weren't tested. They were just placed in a box and apparently forgotten at headquarters. Another DPD officer, William Hayes, testified about a health and wellness call he received on October 13, 2020. The call was to a known drug house, and two brothers told the officer that they had seen Maricela two weeks earlier at a Shell station and the Mustang Inn. One brother claimed she had asked him for $2. The officer looked into it but found nothing to corroborate their stories. The Mustang Inn was a rundown hotel known for prostitution and drugs and it was nowhere around the area Maricela was known by cell phone records to be in. And besides that, Maricela had money in the bank. Highly unlikely she would have been out there trying to get a couple bucks. Next up was security guard Floyd Mitchell. He worked security at another known drug motel, the City Inn. During the investigation, he had told officers he had seen Maricela at the City Inn on the 12th of October. He recalled when he saw her, she was going towards the Valero gas station. But under cross-examination, the prosecution brought out the fact that no one at the Valero had seen her. Lisa Jo Dykes was their final witness. And as she took the stand, she looked nothing like the woman in her mugshots. Her hair was now long and pulled back. She was wearing a long-sleeved dress shirt, and it all seemed so calculated, down to the way she spoke. Lisa spoke softly and gently as she told the jury that she was born in Somerset, Kentucky. She'd been married three times before she married Nina Murano. She joked around and stated that those were three marriages she'd like to forget. She tried ever so hard to be likable and relatable, but like I said, it came off as calculated and fake. She went on to tell the jury that she was the mother of three children, a daughter and two sons. Right off the bat, she claimed that Charles Beltran was a violent man and that she wouldn't want her kids to experience what Maricela did. She continued on saying she had lived a good life. She was a litigation paralegal for 34 years and was so successful at it, she made the same amount of money as Nina, who was an attorney for the city of New York. And then she told a whole new version of every story that had been told in that courtroom. Like literally everyone. And it started with Nina's deceased husband, Bill. Lisa claimed Bill wasn't sleeping outside in his car behind the house on the street because he and Nina were arguing due to her cheating, as Jamie the realtor had testified. Oh no, to hear Lisa tell it, it was Bill stalking Nina because he was abusive and controlling. She and Nina? Well, they loved each other like sisters. They really supported each other. And according to Lisa, not every marriage is based on sex. They really loved each other, but like married sisters or something. I don't know. Even I was confused. Anyhow, when asked why she and Nina decided to go by the last name Beltran after they married, Lisa claimed it wasn't because they were in some twisted love triangle. It was because Beltran was an interesting name. She went on to tell the jury that Beltran meant Raven in Spanish, and that's why they chose it. And besides, they couldn't go by her last name of Dykes since it was slang for a gay woman. And they couldn't go by Murano because of Bill. So Beltran it was, and according to her, they asked Charles about it and he agreed. He had testified earlier that he knew nothing about it, but this was Lisa's story. When it came to leaving her job in October of 2020, she hadn't abruptly left like we'd all been told by her coworker Olivia. It had been a long time coming because her employer wasn't paying her the bonuses she deserved. If you were to believe Dyke's testimony, even at this point, you'd have to believe that literally everything presented in court by everyone was a damn lie. Lisa had an answer for everything and a thing for every answer. She droned on and on with her explanations and then tried to make herself seem like the victim. She testified about her plastic surgery and how it was a wedding gift from Nina, but it was botched. Beltran, who remember Dykes claimed was just a business investment that went sideways. Well, Beltran was supposed to be taking care of her during her recovery, but he didn't show up, even as her stitches were popping out. She was in so much pain and agony that she and Nina had planned a trip to California the same weekend as a concert. But at her doctor's appointment that Friday, he told her that she shouldn't get on a plane. So she decided to go to a hip-hop show in Arkansas instead. That trip to Arkansas was completely unplanned. 
You know, they totally hadn't rented a van, booked three hotel rooms. To hear Lisa tell it, she was barely able to walk, and she definitely wasn't the one driving or drinking or partying, contrary to the testimony of everyone else. She went on to say that Beltran might have came to their hotel room, but if he did, it was just to have a drink. It was definitely not for sex. When they got back to Dallas that afternoon of the 4th, she and Nina returned the van and went and got the dog from the border. The dog was Beltran's, but it hated him because according to Lisa, he beat it all the time. After the dog and the van, they went back home because Nina was working on a big case. She was waiting on documents to arrive all day on the 5th, but they never did. So in the evening, they went to a FedEx in Hutchins that was about a 25-minute drive from her house in Mesquite. Though Lisa testified she knew about that FedEx from when she lived over there, somehow they missed a turn and couldn't take their original route. Well, wouldn't you know it. This supposed missed turn put them in the vicinity of where their phones had pinged near where Maricela's body had been found. When they finally got there, they weren't able to get the package. As she was telling her story, she interjected these random, I guess you'd call them bad facts about Charles Beltran. One of them was that he had been fired from the club because he was fighting every night. He was violent and scary. She then moved on to telling the jury that what they had been told about the life-size statue in the closet was completely incorrect. It had absolutely nothing at all to do with Santa Muerte. It was just a Halloween decoration that they had draped a robe over as a joke because Nina's former husband Bill was Mormon. I don't get the joke, but maybe you do. Anyhow, Lisa testified that the real reason she and Nina wanted to keep people out of that closet was because there were client files in there. She knew nothing about Santa Morte and acted appalled that she had ever been associated with such a thing. That other statue with the offerings around it that the buyers had taken a photo of conveniently never came up. But I guess if it did, she'd probably tell us that it was some kind of Mormon joke. A joke that I'm guessing even someone of the Mormon faith wouldn't understand. Lisa moved on to August of 2019 when the kids left and Beltran moved in. According to Lisa, at first, Beltran was actually working in the studio, so she had no problem investing in him. She paid for the music video and she was never jealous about him bringing other women to the house because she just wasn't interested in him that way. And then it came to Maricela. Dykes testified that she couldn't have been the one to harm Maricela because she had never even seen her. I want to fast forward to the early morning hours of uh, October 5th of 2020. Was Nina there? Yes. Were you and Nina there in your room asleep? Yes, with the dog. Um, on that day, did you ever come, come in contact with uh, Maricela? No. When Chuck arrived there with her, according to the phone records, mm-hmm. in the early morning hours, did you ever know he was there? No. Anything unusual about him arriving at your house in the early morning hours? No. You heard him say that... Uh, at some point, you came into that room and you stabbed Marcel. Did you go into that room and stab Marcel? No. Did you struggle with Marcel? No, absolutely not. No. Did you argue with Chuck about Marcel? No. Had you ever met Marcel? No. In reference to um, This whole Chuck Marcella ordeal, how did you find out about it? I found out about it whenever the FBI agent showed up and called me on the phone. Okay, now before that, um, had you gone into Chuck's room and cleaned his room up? No. So as far as whatever blood was in there, who cleaned that blood up, you have no idea? I have no idea. You just know it wasn't you? I know I wasn't, no. I didn't go in the room, I, no. It wasn't me. It wasn't Nina? It wasn't Nina. On that night, you don't know how many people we had in that room, do you? I have no idea. 
The next morning, did you ever come in contact with Marcella? No. Did you come in contact with Chuck? No. An entire murder and cleanup happened in this woman's house while she was there, and she never heard, saw, or suspected anything. And she wasn't aware that anything was wrong until she was called by the FBI. Sounds completely believable, right? After the call from the FBI, according to Lisa, she started getting strange phone calls. The tires to the Audi were slashed and photos of her house were posted online. So she left Texas to be with Nina, who had already gone to Pennsylvania. She wanted the jury to know that she wasn't on the run because she was guilty of anything, but because she was afraid. And besides, she and Nina had work to do on the Pennsylvania house because they were already planning on selling it and moving to Miami before this all happened. It was all just really bad timing that someone had ended up murdered before their completely planned move to Miami. She went on to claim that she had never tried to help hide Beltran out. In fact, she had never told him to come to Pennsylvania. He just showed up wanting to know if the house had sold yet. When her attorney asked her, why are you putting up with Charles? Lisa responded, Charles was a lot more aggressive than what you've been told. He was really bad as far as the aggression goes. She went on to give an example about a night he was trying to get a hold of her for money and she woke up to 99 phone calls. And she claimed on another occasion, he broke a door and frame because he was locked out. Lisa described Beltran as a wolf in sheep's clothing, but not one time did she give an example of him getting physical with her or Nina, just 99 phone calls and a broken door frame. The conversation moved to Mexico. Lisa testified that they had only gone to Mexico because Beltran wanted to, and she just made it happen because, quote, I didn't trust that I would not end up like Mrs. Boteo or Nina or our families. Weird, because I thought she didn't know anything about what happened to Maricela. Dykeson told the jury that she actually had suspicions that Chuck was involved in trafficking because she had found suitcases in the living room full of young girls' clothing. She was hinting that he was a pedophile. So if you were to believe her story, you'd have to believe that a woman who was very familiar with the law thought a rapping pedophile dog beater was a good investment. After she and Nina were arrested and both bonded out, they fled to Cambodia. Y'all remember that, right? When they cut their ankle monitors and dipped? Well, again, they weren't running. They were being persecuted. And then as far as the... Uh, well, what point give me at is, at some point, y'all cut those monitors off. We did. Tell them about the jury We cut the monitors off because we both felt very much persecuted in this case. I, I do, as I'm sitting here in front of you today. I feel very much like Nina and I have been completely singled out in this case in a way that should not have been. Like you consider, I was 57 years old when this incident happened. I did nothing but work and raise children all my life. There's, I mean, why would I even be suspicious in this? I've never been arrested. I had no criminal record. Nina's an attorney. She never had any kind of, of criminal record. Like, we lived a life that was pretty much upstanding. We hadn't ever done anything like this. Let this, me ask you. Okay, you said you felt persecuted. Yeah. So why, why, why Cambodia? Cambodia was a good place for asylum. Cambodia was a good place for us to find a new life, for us to live, for us not to have these situations. Um, we looked at it. We looked at citizenship. We entered Cambodia legally. We didn't do anything legal. We did everything you were supposed to do to come into a new country and try to nationalize or to get asylum there. Okay. And you were trying to get asylum because you felt persecuted? Absolutely. And were you afraid? Yes, absolutely. Both. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, at the time, right before we left and flew out, there was a black pickup truck that had started to park right outside of our house. And it would move on the street, but it was always there. One day, I went to the window, me and Nina were cooking in the kitchen, and this black truck is parked right outside our kitchen window. Whenever he saw us, he left. But it was definitely a man, and it was nobody we knew personally, and somebody that shouldn't have been there. And did that give you concern? 
Absolutely. So when you went to Cambodia, did you do so out of necessity? Yes. In, in our feelings, absolutely. No, ma'am. You don't get to sit up there and play victim. Persecuted? Entered Cambodia legally? Let's all pretend you didn't cut off an ankle monitor and attempt to flee justice before you entered Cambodia legally. Come on, man. Prosecutor Robin Pittman came in hot on cross-exam. She called Dykes straight out on her soft, gentle, kindly grandmother act she was trying to put on for the jury, stating, you're a negotiator. You're not this soft-spoken. You have to be strong, Lisa. I think you have to be clear and concise. The prosecutor then asked why, if she felt so persecuted and threatened, hadn't she reported any of this to police? Dyke said that at this point, she didn't trust the police, and then stated, Chuck is not the type of man you call the police on. Robin Pittman then said everything we've all been thinking. There was no way after hearing Beltran's music and seeing the production of the Picture Me This video with lyrics about a lickety lick that she thought Beltran's music was a good investment. And everybody and their mama knew they had a sexual relationship. She then had Lisa Dykes roll up her sleeve and show the jury one of her tattoos, a matching tattoo she had with Charles Beltran. It was the logo for math class, Beltran's little rap group. Lisa tried to claim she got the tattoo of the logo because she was the one who started the business for him. I wonder if she had one for Montgomery Law Firm or the import-export business she was starting in Cambodia with Nina. I'm gonna guess we're not out here tattooing business logos on our arms, but maybe I'm wrong. When presented with the testimony of her former friends and co-workers, Dykes testified that the realtor was lying. She never talked to her co-worker Olivia about Beltran. She must have been listening to her phone calls. She hadn't told her hairdresser Kat anything either. They weren't close. She was just her hairdresser, and she wasn't even that good at it. I mean, sure, she was good at color, but not cuts. Now, we all know that's a damn lie. You don't trust somebody who is not good at cuts to literally shave the sides of your head. And how did she know about your daughter's dog, Lisa? Lisa refused to admit she was having sex with anybody. Not her wife, Nina, and she damn sure wasn't sleeping with Beltran. Everyone around her was either a liar or they were persecuting her. You know how they say the weakest evidence of all time is your own testimony? It was definitely true in Lisa's case. She had done herself no favors by taking the stand and claiming to be something she clearly wasn't. The defense rested its case and closing arguments began. District Attorney Brown brought it all back to Maricela Bateo Valadez, the only victim in this case. Maricela deserved better. Maricela deserved better than Raul on October 4th when he could get to his apartment when he let her go back out alone. Maricela deserved better than Chuck. Maricela deserved better than any of these nonsense issues about the Dallas Police Department and things that happened after the investigation. Maricela deserves better than to be talked about, look at what she's wearing in opening statements. Maricela deserved better than to be a photograph in a Dallas County Courthouse in the state of Texas versus Lisa Dykes because Lisa Dykes lost control in October of 2020 of a man she was obsessed with, Charles Beltran, Chuck. Maricela deserved better, but all they could give her now was justice. The prosecutor asked the jury to weigh every bit of circumstantial evidence first, lay it all out like a puzzle, all the other pieces first, and then take Chuck's testimony and see if it fit. The defense was up next and attorney Harris came out the gate yelling, we're not talking about puzzle pieces, we're talking about a life. But the life he was talking about wasn't Maricela's. He was referring to Lisa Dykes and how her life was ruined. He went on to say that someone did fail Maricela and that was DPD. He claimed the investigation into her case was the worst homicide investigation in Dallas police history. 
Attorney Harris continued, stating that Maricela wouldn't have had a one-night stand because she was responsible, which was odd since he accused her of tweaking in his opening. And then the courtroom and the jury entered the twilight zone as Attorney Harris claimed that Maricela wasn't stabbed. She was beaten. And that's why some of her teeth were missing from her skull. Never mind the fact that forensic experts had found no sign of trauma to her body to include her jawbone and teeth and had already testified that the missing remains were the result of animal activity after she had been deceased. Attorney Harris claimed that since no blood spatter was found and teeth were missing, she must have been beaten as he walked around the courtroom making stabbing motions, repeating the word stabbing all dramatic-like in an attempt to show that if someone was stabbed, there would be blood spatter. It was theatrical, over-the-top, and absolutely ridiculous. The prosecution had the last word, and it was brief but effective. When Lisa Dykes was arrested on March 26, 2021, Charles Beltran was saved as lover in her phone. If she couldn't tell the jury the truth about that one thing that literally everyone knew, she wasn't going to tell the truth about anything else. The jury was sent off for deliberations. It didn't take long. Roughly two hours later, they came back and found Lisa Joe Dykes guilty of murder and tampering with evidence. Dykes had no reaction. And with that, the trial entered the punishment phase. Maricela's 20-year-old brother, Luis, took the stand to express to the judge and jury what has been taken away from his family when his big sister was murdered. He struggled to get out the words as he said, Maricela was the best sister I could have asked for that my parents blessed me with. He described Maricela as hardworking like their parents. He said she played sports and had a great vibe to be around. Luis recalled that when he was 12 and Maricela was 15, she had got her first job working at Wendy's with their mom. He wanted a cell phone because he was the only one in his class that didn't have one, but his parents couldn't afford it. One day after basketball, he saw Maricela with a Metro PCS bag. He thought she had gotten herself a new phone, so he asked her which one she got and Maricela pulled a brand new phone out of the bag and handed it to him. She was always looking out for him. He told the courtroom that Maricela was the one person he was closest to, the one person he could count on, and that had been taken away from him. But not just from him. This senseless murder had destroyed the lives of so many. Louise went on to testify about his mother's strength, stating, I see my mom every day doing her best as being the loving mother she's always been. She's always taking care of us despite losing our sister. Lisa Dykes chose not to testify or call any witnesses during this phase. In a stunning turn of events, Attorney Harris asked that sudden passion be considered, because if Beltran's story was to be believed, then Lisa stabbed Maricela out of sudden passion. The judge pushed back and pointed out that Lisa had never admitted to that, but she took the matter back to her chambers to consider it. Now, it may seem strange that sudden passion was just all of the sudden brought up, and it was, since Dykes never actually admitted to murdering Maricela. But in Texas and most other states, sudden passion isn't a defense for murder, and it's only considered during the penalty phase. For Lisa Dykes, this was a last-ditch effort by her defense to get a lighter punishment. Whether it was a good strategic move or not, I couldn't tell you. But after a few moments in the chamber, the judge ruled to include the consideration of sudden passion. When it was his turn to speak, Dyke's defense attorney played the remix of all time. She was jealous. She was obsessed. That's the evidence that you believed. That's the evidence that, that you found credible from the witness stand, that this was a crime of passion. We spent years sudden passion. Based on everything that you heard from Mr. Beltran, what did he tell you about her condition? Because you believe him. Now you have to apply the law to what he said, that this was a crime of rage. This was a crime of resentment. This was a crime of anger. That's what he told you. That's what led you to believe that she was a murderer. But the circumstance in which she caused that murder, again, because he's saying she's obsessed with him. And it's not just that, that once again, he has a girl in the house. She just spent all this money Taking him and his friends to Arkansas for the show, paying for the band. She's had plastic surgery, facelifts, 
She's done all these things according to him because she's obsessed with him. She's jealous. That's what they're saying. This crime happened because she's jealous. That's what they've all said from the beginning. Now they want to run from it because the law says if there was an adequate cause, if they're uh, uh, based on resentment, anger, that's what he told you happened. That's what he told you. She was out of control to the state where he had to slam her up against the wall to shake her out of it. That sudden passion. She's out of control. Anger, rage, resentment. How dare y'all be in here again? I just did all this for you. That's what he said. That's the evidence you found credible. It's sudden passion. That's sudden passion. The adequate cause is again. Everything that she did for him during that period of time. Everything that she was doing. The cards. The tattoos. All these things that she's doing. And you're still bringing women over here. So it wasn't just about the women. It was about everything that made her and all these other women that they drug in here obsessed with him. That sudden passion. Told you I've never seen her act like that before. Never seen her act like that before. She doesn't have a history of violence. Never seen her act like that before. For some reason, she lost it that night. That's sudden passion. That's what you heard from the witness stand. Remember, after he slams her against the wall to shake her out of it, he says what? She was in a daze. She was in a daze. She's in the days. What, what have I done? What have I done? That's sudden passion. During the guilt-innocence phase, the defense argued that the jury couldn't believe not a single word of Beltran's testimony. But now they were asking them to buy it hook, line, and sinker. First, it was Maricela was a tweaker. Then she was responsible. First, Charles Beltran was a liar and a dangerous man, and now he was honest fucking Abe. Prosecutor Robin Pittman argued that this murder was premeditated. Dykes was in her bedroom. She heard Beltran and Maricela go into the room, heard the music, waited until they were asleep, went and got a knife, and attacked Maricela in her sleep. That, Prosecutor Pittman stated, was not sudden passion. That was premeditated murder. Lisa Dykes deserved life in prison because she murdered Maricela even though she had never met her, disposed of her body and left Maricela's family in anguish, on their knees praying for her safe return, not knowing what happened to her for months while she spent her money hiding out and trying to evade justice. She deserved life for that. And the jury agreed. After an hour of deliberation, Lisa Jo Dykes was sentenced to life for the murder and another 20 years for tampering with evidence. Judge Mulder immediately carried out the sentence. Mr. Harris, is there any reason in law why your client cannot now be sentenced? There is not, Judge. <clears throat> that it is the order and judgment and decree of the court in cause number F2175476. <clears throat> Lisa Joe Dykes, in conforming with the jury's verdict, I hereby sentence you to life in prison and a fine of $10,000. In cause number F21 tampering with physical evidence, I sentence you to 20 years in prison and a, and a fine of $10,000. I order you taken by the sheriff and by her safely held until you can be transferred to, a, to an authorized receiving agent to begin your sentence in TDCJ. Ms. Dykes, I hope that you find that you've been treated with a much greater amount of dignity and respect than you ever treated Maricela Batillo Benedez. May God have mercy on your soul. Attorney Heath Harris still maintains his client's innocence and has already filed an appeal. Charles Beltran and Nina Murano are both still facing tampering with evidence charges and face anywhere between 5 to 20 years in prison. Beltran is expected to take that plea and Murano's trial is scheduled for June of this year. And that, my friends, is all for this week. I'll be sure to bring you updates on this case as they become available. 
and I'll be back next Thursday with an all new episode. So make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. And if you're sick of ad interruptions, I've got good news for you. You can get all your episodes ad free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.